Welcome to Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft, podcast hosted by me, Lilith Amberley. If you're exploring witchcraft for something beyond the aesthetic, if some social media platforms make you cringe and say, that's not me, if you're looking to build a practice that enhances your life, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Daughter's Witchcraft. So this week is part two of protection magic, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But first, I have some questions for The Witch Is In. The first question that I received is from Kinsley, and Kinsley writes, Dear Lilith, I've really enjoyed listening to your show. I have a problem, and I'm not sure what to do. The problem is I've been married for two years, and my husband comes from a very conservative Christian family. He's very conservative as well. When I married him, I was going to church with him, but I never really felt strongly about his beliefs. Well, now I've been dabbling in witchcraft, and I feel really drawn to it. I haven't told him, and I'm not sure if I should tell him or what to do. What is your advice? Well, that's a loaded question. A couple things. First, I am not a marriage counselor or a psychologist, so I just want to be clear about that. But I am a witch and I am married, so I will give you some advice, but ultimately you're going to need to do what you feel is right for you and for your relationship. Here's the thing. There are fundamental things that most of us look for in a person before we marry them, you know, while we're dating. And religious beliefs may be one of them. It may not be, but based on your email, I'm thinking that maybe it was, you know, on your husband's part. So if your husband and his family are very conservative Christians and he has no idea that this is what you are experimenting with, then I probably would not go in with, by the way, I'm dabbling in witchcraft. And I'm not saying that you would present it to him like that. But you might just want to start with a conversation that's broader about spirituality in general, because many people have a very visceral reaction to the word witch, and I'm not sure what his reaction would be. You know, you're going to have definitely a better idea. I strongly feel that we should have open communication with our partner, but I also believe that we owe ourselves the time to explore newfound paths privately for a little while. You know, you said you were dabbling, and maybe it's something that you just want to dabble in a little bit longer. Make sure this is something that you really want to pursue at a deeper level. And not that you don't want to talk to him about things, but maybe you end up deciding that this really isn't for you. So having a conversation in detail about witchcraft might not even be necessary. Now, maybe still necessary to have a conversation around spirituality, but if this isn't a path you're, you know that you're going to go any deeper anyway, it might be good to know that up front. Now, that said, if this is something that you plan to continue to explore and you want to go deeper, I would still probably take my time because I would want to be able to answer questions about what it is I'm doing and what it is I believe or what it is, you know, that I'm exploring before I came out to someone, particularly someone that I know is going to have a very different view than I do. And that said, you know, this is a marriage and you took this person on as your partner. So a lot may come down to your beliefs about marriage and your individuality versus the partnership. I can only speak from my perspective. You know, my values toward marriage and partnerships might be different than yours, though. I believe that marriage is a partnership, but that it's important that you also maintain your individuality. 
you know, witchcraft for me was something I found later in life. I was in my late 30s. I was married, had a couple of kids. I was raised Catholic and my husband was raised Lutheran. We had gone to church together over the years, but it wasn't something that either of us felt very strongly about. We weren't actively practicing Christianity when I started down this path, and I still didn't tell him right away. I wasn't afraid to tell him or anything like that, but this was something that was deeply personal to me, and I was just getting started. Now, if he would have saw me reading a book and asked what it was I was reading, I would have told him, but it didn't come up. At that time, I didn't have spell jars and tarot cards laying around, so it wasn't obvious. I didn't tell him until I actively started practicing witchcraft. You know, there's no right or wrong way to handle the situation, and I wish I could give you the answer. I do think it's also important to note that depending on how strong his beliefs are, at some point, you may need to make a decision because some people will never accept this spiritual path. And I'm not saying he's one of them, but he might be. So thank you so much for writing in. I wish you the very best, and I hope you make a decision that is right for you and your relationship. So the second question comes from Bronwyn, and they write, are tumbled stones not as effective to work with? Well, for me, I don't notice a discernible difference. I do have some stones that are my favorites, and some are tumbled, and some are raw. I think depending on who you ask will affect the answer here, because everybody probably has differing opinions on this. So my suggestion would be to do some experimentation. Hold a tumbled stone in one hand and a raw stone of the same kind in the other and see if you can feel the difference. You know, and then do this for a couple different kinds of stones and see if you pick up any patterns. Because at the end of the day, what's going to be most effective is what's going to be most effective for you. So thank you so much for that question, Bronwyn. The next question comes from NC. NC writes, I listened to Protection Magic Part 1 and I'm really confused about circles. You were talking about casting a circle for protection, but I thought casting a circle was to raise energy. Can you clarify? Yes, and I apologize for the confusion. So circles serve different purposes in magic. One is for protection, which I touched on last week. In this case, you're casting a circle to protect yourself from encountering spiritual beings in the other world that you are not intending to have communication or connection with. Witches also cast circles for raising energy. This creates a sacred and magical place to contain the energy that you're raising in your spellcraft. You use the space to build the energy before it's released to carry your spell out into the world. I really don't cast circles that often to raise energy either. I work by myself and I've never had the feeling like my energy was dissipating throughout the room. I always feel that it stays fairly close to my body Although I can definitely see the advantage of casting a circle to raise energy if you're working with, say, a group of people, you know, to try to keep that energy contained in that specific space. So the third reason people might use a circle is similar to the first, which was for protection. Remember in the first, you know, I was talking about creating and maintaining a shield from entities that you are not trying to have contact with. So the third reason is if you are trying to conjure a spirit. So you're calling a spirit in and you want that spirit to be contained in your circle and then you release the spirit when you're done working with it. So thank you so much for that question. And again, I apologize for the confusion. That leads us into part two of protection magic. Last week, I talked about when we might need or when we don't need protection. 
I want to clarify something else that I talked about last week. I told you that for the most part, I choose to cast spells that stop another person's behavior as opposed to casting a protection spell for myself. That said, you can absolutely do both. I just wouldn't only do the protection spell in those cases like bullying, stalking, etc. Now, protection magic, I generally use more often for broader or less specific protection than from, say, a particular person. And that leads me into wards or warding our property. So that's W-A-R-D. So warding is setting a protective boundary around your property. This is something that I've done in the past and something that I will continue doing. You can ward for different reasons. One example might be to protect your home and the people in it from storms. Another might be from theft. I live in a tropical storm, you know, and hurricane prone area. And I ward my property to protect it from those storms at the beginning of each season. And when I have concerns about a specific storm that is approaching. I had two unusual experiences, like very unusual experiences. And I definitely give credit to the protection that I put in place. So the last property where I lived had a lot of trees. And I had two storms hit that snapped a tree in half that was on my property. And these trees were very, very close to the house. In both cases, the piece of the tree that fell actually fell beyond the property line. And one of them was, I mean, it was really pretty amazing because when you looked at it, it almost looked impossible for the top of the tree to land in the way that it did. I shared a video of it on my Facebook page. I think it was around last May. So if you want to see it, go check that out. My Facebook page is Lilith Amberley Village Witch. And there aren't that many videos on there, so it should not be hard to find. So toward it, what I did was I took some very, very small quartz crystals and I buried them in the ground along the perimeter of my property while asking the spirits of the land to protect my home. Now, if there was a strong enough storm coming, I would not just rely on warding my property. I'm not a huge risk taker, so I'm definitely the person boarding up and evacuating my family and pets when necessary. But I still absolutely recommend property wards. So that was for storms. You might also protect your home and property for other reasons, like theft, unwanted behaviors, or protection from eviction. Now remember, this isn't a replacement for locking your doors or having a security alarm in place or for paying your rent. This is just meant to help. So for this, I would gather a railroad spike for each corner of your property. Now I feel like I need to say, please don't ever pry spikes from railroad tracks. One, it's illegal. Two, you could end up derailing the train and causing like a catastrophe. So please don't do that. Sometimes, though, you can find old ones on the ground in the vicinity of old railroad beds. So those, you know, I would, you know, pick up and probably bring home with me. You can also purchase them online. So what you're going to do is you're going to take one of the spikes and you're going to um, drive it into the ground at the corner, at each corner of your property. You're going to place a coin on it as an offering to the spirits and then cover it with graveyard dirt. And if you're so inclined, finally mark it as your territory. Now, while you're doing this, you're going to be saying something like, with the power of iron and the spirits to guard, may my family and property be protected from all harm. So something like that, keep it simple. And you're going to say that with each spike. Also, so just a note about graveyard dirt, know your local laws around this and please be extremely respectful. 
you know, if you can gather dirt from your own ancestors' graves, or if you are, you know, looking for protection from theft or other types of illegal behavior, maybe, you know, you look from a place for someone who might have been, say, a protector of the community. I don't advise lurking around graveyards at night because, you know, if someone sees you there and you look suspicious, you're going to really look suspicious lurking around there at night. So for me, I think it's, I always think it's better, you know, take some flowers, place some flowers you know, on your ancestor's grave during the day, have a little baggie in your pocket so you can just put a little bit of dirt in it or something like that. And you don't need a lot. You just need a little bit to sprinkle over the top of each one. You can mix it dirt from your yard and just have in each area a little bit of the graveyard dirt. Now, some witches will call directly on spirits for protection. So perhaps there are guardian spirits that you already have a relationship with. Use your relationship to ask for protection. If you work with a deity, you might ask that deity to send a spirit for protection. This is often referred to as the witch's familiar. So no, most witches' pets are not their familiars. They can be, but familiar spirit in this context is probably not your pet. There are those who practice or incorporate chaos magic into their practice, and they might create a servitor to fulfill this need. So chaos magic was a term coined in I believe like the 1970s, and the premise was that a witch or a magician would take bits and pieces from different, you know, several different traditions and put them together in such a way that worked individually for that person. And servitors became popular with that type of practice. So a servitor is an entity, it's a spiritual entity that is created by the witch or magician for a specific purpose. It's usually created for, you know, a short-term goal or project, and it's dependent on the witch or magician for its existence. So just a quick pop culture reference for you. It's a Disney reference. There is a lot of magic, magical practices incorporated into Disney movies beyond, you know, the fairy dust and things that people typically notice. So in the movie Frozen, Elsa creates Olaf the snowman, and I would argue that Olaf was a servitor. In Frozen 2, when Elsa loses her magic, Olaf dies. Of course, he, you know, he's brought back to life at the end, so all is well. But that's a pop culture example for you, just a little fun fact. Then there are plenty of folk magic charms for protection, some of which I would use, some of which I wouldn't. One of my favorite books of historical folk magic is The Black Toad by Gemma Gary. It's a good book. It's very comprehensive. It's a little book, and it is a book of magic from the Cornwall area in England. So again, not necessarily spellcraft that I would do, maybe some of it, but most of it probably not, but a very fascinating read. You know, one charm in there calls for the heart of a large animal, I think it was like a horse or a cow, you know, something like that, to be stuck with thorns and pins, like completely covered with them, and then hung in the attic to protect you from all kinds of evil spirits. Um, so very interesting. Check that one out if that kind of thing, you know, if that's your thing. Protection magic, you know, it's common all around the world, no matter where we go. In Pennsylvania, you have the Pennsylvania Dutch, and they were and are still known for painting protective hex signs. So that's hex, H-E-X, signs like on their barns. And the art is said to provide protection to the building and the property. And also, you know, it has magical properties to help ensure fruitful crops and the fertility of their livestock and all sorts of things. When we think of Pennsylvania Dutch, there were a lot of charms found in a 
book that was published in the early 1800s, and the book was by John George Holman, and it was called Powell, Long Lost Friend, a collection of mysterious and invaluable arts and remedies for man as well as animals with many proofs. So in this context, it's not powwow as a Native American powwow. We're talking about Pennsylvania Dutch powwow. So now the Pennsylvania Dutch were Christians, but they believed that because they were calling upon their God and referring to the Bible and, you know, saying, you know, their charms, a lot of it came from the Bible, that this type of magic was okay. And, you know, they definitely had some protection magic listed in there along with remedies for many, many things. The one protective charm that was in there, again, not one that I would use, but I think it told you to carry the right eye of a wolf inside your right sleeve and it would protect you from all injuries, you know, something to that effect. So you can still get that book. You can get it online. It's really, really cheap. And what's interesting about that book is it was very, very popular. So a lot of the older grimoires, you know, they would not be a popular like household item. They would be held by certain people. But this book, this powwow, Long Lost Friend, it was a common household book in that area. You know, no matter which house you went to or whomever's house you went to, you were very, very likely to find a copy of that book. And it was used regularly. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. If you kind of move down the eastern coast of the United States and you come to the southeast, you'll also find, you know, different types of folk magic used for protection. One thing that you might notice is that on like the front porches or back porches for that matter, that the ceilings are often painted a light blue color. So the practice of painting the ceiling of the porches, what is called haint blue, is said to protect the house and the people in it from haints. So haints are spirits that would often enter the home at night and were said to torment its occupants. Well, spirits are not supposed to cross water, or so it's said. So by painting the ceiling blue, it was meant to fool the haint into thinking that it was water so that the haint wouldn't cross and enter the house. Another common item that you see in this area are bottle trees. So these would have been small trees. Now today you can still get them, they sell, you know, they're made of metal and put them in their yard. And folks would place colored glass bottles on the branches. And the thought was that the spirits would be attracted to the colored glass and then get stuck in the bottle. So no matter where you go, you're going to find all kinds of folk magic for protection spells and charms. And hopefully all this gave you some magical protective food for thought to put into your own practice. So I will see you back here next week. Now, before you go, I want to make sure that we stay connected. So go ahead, join my VIP list. It's witchlifeacademy.lilithamberley.com forward slash resources. The link will be in the show notes. And I want you to join my VIP list because when you do, you're going to have access to all of my free resources, the ones that are there now and the ones that I publish in the future. You're also going to have access to any upcoming offers, programs, courses, etc. that are going to come out. So I don't want you to miss that. I want to make sure that we stay connected. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and give the show a rating. That's so important, especially for newer podcasts. I would really, really appreciate that. Until next time, I hope you have a most wonderful and magical day.